Hey, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name is Cody. My name is Emily. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. for the second week in a row sorry guys it's been a week it's been a busy week and hey at least we're not like we're not doing it this week we're gonna make it happen for you exactly and i don't know if any of you are watching the last of us <gasps> it is so good i am not on the gay episode yet but i'm no i'm gonna cry oh you're gonna cry Haley. so you know my friend Haley at work no okay she cried and then she looked over because her husband i guess like he was like Okay, well, sorry, I'm wearing shushy pants again. Sorry. Anyway, um, he was like, wanted like the zombie part and everything. He's like, this is just a love story, whatever. At the end, she looked over and he was legit sobbing. Yeah, Abby and her mom watched it. They both cried. Oh, it is just... I love zombie movies. Like, I have dreams all the time that I'm in the zombie apocalypse. But like, I know I'm in it, so I'm not scared. I just love it. Yeah. I mean, there, and I'm not big like in Apocalypse News. This show, so good. My brother in law started it late and then he texted me. Oh, I can't tell you what he texted me because it would be. Yeah, don't give it away. But anyway, last week was amazing. And then this week, Mm -hmm. it comes on on Friday. So it comes on tomorrow because of the Super Bowl game. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, but what? You're looking at my shoes. Oh, Oh, okay. But anyway, it was so good. And then Nick, or, Someone fell asleep I was watching it with. And I was like, how are you sleeping through this? All this action that is happening. Yeah. No, I love it. It's so good. You should definitely check it out. I'm yeah. trying to think if I've... I don't think we've been watching anything. No. I mean, oh, just... I do love the show Pressure Cooker on Netflix. Okay, that popped up on my Netflix the other day. I was like, oh, there it is. It is so good. It's like reality. They're cat. Like you have to cook. Mm-hmm. And then you have to send people home. Oh, the contestants. Yeah. And so there's only one cooker left at the end. And they have to like taste test and like critique the other people that are cooking. It's really good. They like, it's like a mixture between like Big Brother. That's what I was thinking. The Great American Bake. Like all those combined in one. It's so good. I love it. Oh my God. I would be horrible. I can make a grilled cheese. The end. You do, don't you? I've been making some good ass grilled cheese and you dip it in. I'm so proud of you. Like better than the one you made. Oh. Okay. And add pickles in it. I love grilled cheese with a pickle. Um, Patreons. We don't have any new Patreons this week, which is... Yeah, Rita. She was last week. Is she? Well, we're giving you another one. Yeah, because I said like Margarita. Remember? Oh, I can't But um, we're that. Emily is sending your, all of y'all stuff out um, tomorrow or today. One of the yeah, two. Yeah, I think my mail comes kind of late, but it probably won't get processed till tomorrow, but I'm going to still mail it. Yeah. And we just recorded a Patreon episode that we'll probably upload either today or tomorrow. So you'll get it before the weekend. Um, and it's about witchcraft, witches, witch test, the Blair Witch Project. So it's a very witchy. So if you're missing Halloween, come be a Patreon. It's super condescending and witchy. And um, you are dumb as hell. And um. If you want to be a Patreon, you can type in Misery Manor Patreon in Google, or you can just go to our Instagram at Misery Manor Podcast, and our link is in our bio. We would love to have you. Bayou, bayou. Bayou, whoops. (laughs) All right, well, today, guys, it is February 9th. (laughs) Emily has another episode for us, making it three. No, I'm kidding. Three out of 70. Look, my last episode was on my birthday. Actually, is this 70 or 71? I don't know. Either way. Anyway, it's probably my seventh. So. 71 is, yep. So seven. Okay. Yep. So I'm ready to listen to it. So take the floor, honey. We're ready for her stardom. I hate you. So today we're going to talk about a murderous couple. Mm. Oh my God. 
That is so funny that you said that because I had such a good idea for the month of February because it's Valentine's. <gasps> Remember, we were going to do- That's what we were going to do. Maybe that's why I subconsciously chose them. Yeah, we were going to do all murderous couples. Okay. Well, good. Take it away, honey, because mine was about a 10-year-old murder. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so Patricia Colombo and Frank DeLuca. Okay. So Patricia Colombo was the first child of Frank and Mary Colombo. Okay. So I get like the murderer is Frank, but her dad is also named Frank. So okay. born on June 21st, 1956. What is that? Like, what is her sign? Oh, I have no clue. I'm not one of those bitches. Okay. That. In Elk Grove Village, Illinois, about 40 minutes outside of the city of Chicago. So Patricia was a daddy's girl. Frank treated Patricia like his little princess and growing up, that's what he actually called her was Aww. princess. So when Patricia was six, her brother Michael was born. Now, this is like a little side note, but this is coming from me being a teacher and working with like little ones. When a child is the center of their parents' lives and another child is brought into that, it like rocks their whole oh, world. Yeah, I've like, seen videos of understandably so. Yeah, I've seen videos where like on TikTok and stuff where the mom's like, I'm pregnant, and the babies are like, No. Yeah. Like they're like, I don't want another brother. And then, you know, they just like they're like, I want to be the baby. Like right. I have a friend who she just gave birth and like her son before uh-huh. now wants to be a baby like he's acting like a baby that makes sense like yeah. the regression is normal right. and then like i know my sister's best friend had her little one um her firstborn was like kind of all about it first and then he goes okay when is she going home right and okay. claire was like oh no honey she's here we're not shoving it back <laughs> up so anyway, so on some accounts say that Patricia or Patty, as she was commonly known, was caring and maternal towards her brother, Michael, while others said the complete opposite, that Patty was jealous and resentful of the specific attention that her dad gave to his son. So there could be a whole psychological thing here about the differences like of a father-son relationship in comparison to a father-daughter relationship. I don't know, but you can make your assumption on what she thinks of her brother like at the end. Okay. Okay. So Patty was beautiful. And at a young age, she was getting attention from the boys in her school and even men at a young age. So in her adolescence, Patty was known to be a wild child. She was very outgoing, but she was extremely headstrong. At the age of 16, Patty dropped out of high school and began working the cosmetics counter at the local Walgreens. And yeah. And so one day Patty was able to sneak off and she stole credit cards from two of her fellow employees. She then charged thousands of dollars on the cards. Damn. Yeah. So Frank found out her dad and paid off the charges made by Patty in July of 1974. But Patty was still convicted of deceptive practices and she was sentenced to two years probation probation that was still active during the time she is later arrested okay so so she didn't waste no time oh no no so now one of patty's co-workers i say co-workers because actually her manager um was a man named frank deluca deluca which is what i'm going to call him so that we won't be dis- right. confused with daddy frank but mm-hmm. this frank is also kind of like a daddy so we have frank and, DeLu- and deluca yeah so um, anyway, DeLuca graduated from Purdue University with a pharmacy degree and had been working at this Walgreens since like 61 or 62. But by the time Patty started working there, DeLuca had already been promoted to a manager. So he was her superior. Um, this was around 1972. So yes, Patty knew DeLuca before the credit card situation, which was honestly the least shocking thing that she will ever end up doing. Um DeLuca was a married 36-year-old father of five children. Oh, he was getting busy. Oh, yeah. So, oh, and even more so. So rumors swirled around town that DeLuca was a swinger, which really is neither here nor there. And, um, but I wonder, to me, I'm like, okay, I wonder if that was like society's way of like fluffing up the fact that he was like a legit predator. Mm. So he had been known to have numerous affairs with the ladies that worked under him at Walgreens. Though, Literally under him. Yeah. That's why I <laughs> chose that word carefully. Though Patty was reported to be the youngest of these. So um, this part, I'm not kink shaming anyone here or trying to say that this or that isn't okay. But I want you to keep in mind that this man who is this child's superior at work 
it's like bad enough that he's her manager Mm -hmm. but like the fact that he's so much older than her just makes it like disgusting she's 16 he's 36 right yeah but my thing is like even if she was 36 or 37 he still shouldn't be like he's her manager it's not okay so anyway um deluca and patty would uh have conversations about the two of them swinging um patty having sex with other men at Met women and allowing DeLuca to photograph and video her doing so. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, um, all these murderous couples that we do have some kinks. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, no one knew of their inappropriate relationship, not even Patty's parents. In 1974, Patty moves out of the Colombo home with Frank and Mary's blessing, her parents, mm-hmm. and into the DeLuca family home with the wife and the kids. Patty and DeLuca's affair continued, and they would commonly have sex in the same house with Marilyn, DeLuca's wife, and their five children just rooms away. You know what we should call instead of DeLuca? Delusion. I know. But I love that, like, Frank and Marilyn, Frank and Mary. Oh, yeah. It's, like, so, it's just weird. So, anyway, Patty's parents soon found out that not only was their underage daughter sleeping with a man twice her age, who was also married with children, but that they were also swingers. And for some reason, that is what, like, really pissed him off. Um, In the summer of 1975, only after a year of living with the DeLucas, Patty came home professing that she was out of the relationship with DeLuca and that she wanted her own place. Her father was thrilled that she had just seemed to come out of this relationship okay and wanted to start her life on her own and have some responsibility. But what Frank didn't know was that Patty was lying. DeLuca and his wife were now separated and that, you know, she and DeLuca were still seeing one another. Frank helped his daughter find an apartment in a town called Lombard, which was only 15 miles south of Elk Grove Village. And he also was paying her rent. Her dad. Mm -hmm. Random and not so significant, really. In August of that same year, Marilyn files for divorce from DeLuca. So keep that just in the back of your mind. Um, Anyway, keep in mind that Patty is only about 18, 19 at this point. And so having her parents help her out isn't like, in my opinion, a weird thing, especially because they have no idea she is still in cahoots with this pedophile yeah they're probably just happy that she's out of that and they're like let's help you get on your feet exactly so and i don't know that for sure but that's just that's what it seems like like. i'm assuming yeah so deluca immediately moves into the apartment in lombard and somehow frank frank finds out and is again pissed frank shows up to walgreens one day while they're both at work and approaches deluca in the parking lot and he's like pissed ordering him like leave my daughter alone and um this breaks my heart but i mean he's just trying to protect his daughter he understands that she is possibly being groomed by this man and which like at that time i'm like that's pretty like that's what it is yeah and he just wants his little girl safe now i don't know this part is a little hairy because it's coming from deluca's account and not frank's so i'm not 100 percent sure how it happened but deluca insists that frank pulls a rifle out on deluca and points it at his head and says I'm going to blow your head off. This is when DeLuca cowers and Frank hits him across the mouth with the butt of the rifle, (laughs) which like those are big. Yeah. Right. And, um, and he's, and continues to hit him in the stomach. You're dead. You motherfucker. That's what he told him. Good. Yeah. Not sure if I believe it and do not condone that behavior whatsoever, but either way it was documented and this happened that this happened and it is referred to, like numerous times throughout the story. Okay. So it probably happened. Yeah. I don't know if like he said exactly that, Uh, but yeah. Um, so after this incident, Patty filed a complaint against her father and had him charged with assault. Not to Luca. Her father. Frank was arrested. What a slap in the face. Oh, just wait. Frank was arrested and went to jail. Patty soon withdrew her complaint against her father. And once he was released, it was reported that Frank had made plans to disown Patty. Patty and her parents didn't have much or maybe any contact with Patty until early 1976, when she and DeLuca decided to marry once his divorce was finalized that May. 
According to DeLuca, the Columbos gave their blessing for their June wedding and were even going to gift the newlyweds a new washer and dryer as a wedding gift. Mm. Okay. So with all that being said, Patty cannot get over the fact that her father hurt and threatened the love of her life, the man who loved his family for her, Frank DeLuca. On the night of May 4th, 1976, Patty and DeLuca collectively decided to murder both Frank and Mary Colombo for insurance money and Patty's inheritance. But because they're so thoughtful, they didn't want to leave Patty's 13-year-old brother Michael out. So he would be receiving a cut of the inheritance that Patty got. They're going to kill him too. This is the first version of this story. That evening on May 4th, Patricia Colombo, at the time age 19, and her fiancé, Frank DeLuca, 39, crept into the Colombo family home and shot both Frank and Mary. Mm-hmm. Then bludgeoned Michael with mm-hmm. a bowling trophy. Not and the if, bowling trophy. And if that wasn't enough, they stabbed him almost 100 times with scissors. A little boy. A little boy. Who did nothing. Who did nothing. And you were, I guess you did know because I sent you the pictures earlier. I didn't look. <laughs> oh, you didn't? <laughs> okay. I didn't want it to ruin. Oh, okay. Two day, well, you were right. They did murder Michael. And I meant to give a tri- trigger warning there, and I'm sorry. Well, that's a first with the bowling trophy. Yeah. So, two days later, on May 6th, an abandoned 1972 Maroon Thunderbird was reported to be parked at 140 South Whipple in West Chicago. The officer that responded to the vehicle report discovered an Elk Grove Village sticker in the front window. The car had no hubcaps, a smashed right front window that was then covered up with cardboard and a pulled-out ignition. Though the car was obviously damaged and stolen by amateurs, it wasn't stripped for parts. Which, like, typically, like, a car like that, someone would, like, take off all, like, the mm-hmm. tires and the seats. Stereo, and, you know, Yeah. That. So, um, the car had not been reported stolen and was registered to a Frank Colombo of Elk Grove Village, about 20 miles northwest from Chicago. Not only was it su- suspicious that Frank's car was found in this condition, but also the fact that the car wasn't reported stolen. Frank was a successful auto parts salesman. He would have reported that. Well, y'all need to be friends because the auto is needing some help. Uh, well, he did. Oh, true. <laughs> but I'm wondering, like, I didn't look at it on a map and I meant to, but I'm I'm guessing it's like Elk, Elk Village Grove and then like uh, Chicago and then probably Lombard. Lombard. Or Lombard I've heard of Lombard. Was on... Lombard's big. Okay, well, I'm guessing it was, like, on the way. Yeah. I don't know. It's close to Chicago. Okay. So in the early evening of May 7th, nope. I went a little far, sorry. It was also kind of strange that a car from Elk Grove Village would be found in this area of West Chicago, as it was a bit unsavory. Elk Grove Village was this, like, Norman Rockwell family-oriented suburban area, very different from the crime that was in West Chicago at this time in the mid-70s. This was just, like, out of place, right? Yeah, but, like, even... Now there are places like that in Chicago that are, like, kind of scary. But, like, that's with most cities, but, like, I've heard... That was just alarming. They were like, what is this car doing here? Right, okay. Anyway, the police found it unlikely that Frank had business in the area, so over the next hour, they called the Colombo residents with getting only the busy signal. Then they informed the Elk Grove Village Police Department. In the early evening of May 7th, an officer of Elk Grove Village was dispatched to the home of Frank and Mary Colombo at 55 Brantwood to enforce... That is so weird. Brantwood. Isn't mm-hmm. that the street or the, is either the street or the like little subdivision that, um, Kim, um, Kardashian. No. Um, oh my freaking God. OJ Simpson. Oh no, I don't think so. I don't know. His wife, the, his ex-wife that he murdered. Yeah. I think it was in Brantwood. In Chicago. California. No. Oh, that's I don't just, know that one. Brantwood's the name of the street here. Oh, okay. You don't know? I don't know the ins and outs of that one. Oh, okay. Anyway, 55 Brantwood to inform them that their car had been found in Chicago. Upon arrival at the residence, the officer noticed three days' worth of newspapers piled at the front door. The front door, which was open behind a closed but unlocked storm door. The officer received no response to knocking at the door other than a dog barking from inside, which is so sad, and there's no 
there's nothing else I could find about the dog. But anyway, I hate that so much. Like, it's so sad. The officer waited until backup arrived to enter the home. While waiting, he walked around the house and saw no forced point of entry or anything out of place. There were no cars in the driveway or the garage. Hmm. So upon entry into the home, both officers immediately found 43-year-old Frank first. Frank was lying on his back in the living room. He was surrounded by broken glass and a torn and bloody lampshade from a lamp nearby. It was obvious he had been dead for several days. So I'm assuming he was like bloated and it probably smelled. Well, then the dog did have food. Next, officers (laughs) found 40-year-old Mary also on her back on the landing outside the bathroom. Mary had a bullet wound at the bridge of her nose right between her eyes. She also had a one inch slash across her throat. Around her body was a bloodied artificial plant and some like pieces of like a magazine. There oh, was... they probably hit her with the plant pot. I don't know. Or she fell back and hit it. Yeah. Um, there was broken glass and beads scattered by her head. The officer called for an investigator. So she got high before she died. You said weed? Beads. Oh. Probably from like her necklace. Mm. The officers called for an investigative unit and evidence technicians who arrived around 5 p.m. Investigator Raymond Rose was the first investigator to arrive on the scene. And I think I mentioned it later down here, but he was only 29 years old. Mm. Um, He took a look at both Frank and Mary's bodies and pointed out that Mary still had her diamond wedding ring band on, as well as her handbag, which was still in the bathroom. Like the the contents of it were like scattered around, but Mm -hmm. nothing like her wallet was in there, everything. So this was suggesting that robbery probably wasn't a motive for their murders. That's what they would have taken. Approaching the stairs, Rose noticed four human teeth lying between the top of the stairs and the wall. That's when he discovered 13-year-old Michael's body in his bedroom. Michael, like his parents, was on his back. Here's another trigger warning. Was on his back on the floor. His head was completely covered in blood. There appeared to be a bullet wound to the left side of his head as well as to the back of his head. He had numerous stab, which I could, it could have been entry exit. I don't know, but um, he, which I think is what it was. Um, he had numerous stab wounds to his neck and chest. So like those a hundred stab wounds were all just like in this area. What what did they stab him with? Scissors. <laughs> on his desks, or on not his the scissors. The yes. si- the sister scissored him. Were a bloodied pair of scissors and a bloodied bowling trophy, which lie next to his little body. Hmm. Going through the rest of the house, Rose found tons of random objects covered in blood, including trash from the kitchen garbage bin that was dumped onto the floor. The telephone was off the hook. Cabinets were open, and most notable was the telephone directory that was left open to a page that had the name and number of the Columbo's oldest child written on it. Upstairs was pretty neat and orderly. It was clear someone was getting ready to go to bed as the comforter was pulled back, but no one had yet laid into it because, like, the sheets were still pulled tight. Um, The alarm that had been set for 9 a.m. that morning was still going off. Well, I guess the morning before that, yeah. Two knives were found outside the home, a nine-inch knife on the front porch and a steak knife in the garden. There was one thing that detectives found noticeably absent, or should I say person, and that was 19-year-old Patricia Colombo. The Colombo residence was flooded with police cars, detectives, crime scene investigators, crime scene tape. There was a lot of activity going on at the house, but no sign of Patty. Detectives found Patty and summoned her to the police station for more information. Now, we discuss this a lot in the podcast, and you hear it. No one is expected to act a certain way when it comes to grief or tragedy. Some of us have this perception in our minds, and some of us have unfortunately experienced it. I will say this. Detectives and investigators see things like this more regularly than you and I do. So I feel like they could detect more of when someone's behavior is off or maybe super concerning. Um, when Patty arrived at the station, she was not in tears. She wasn't appear appearing to be overly upset or in shock. Even she shows up to the police station with a lead. Oh, like she was like, Hey, yeah. I have so like, instead in of like more questions, she's like, 
See, they think that they if they do that, it's getting them off the hook. Okay, but who do you think the lead is? Her husband or her fiance? Nope. Her father, Frank's apparent ties to the mob. Oh. According to Patty, her father ran a, quote, mob chop shop for stolen cars with the auto parts store as a front. This, she said, probably led to the murders. Now, this part I don't know is true or not, but the detectives did make note of Patty's story, but also made note that she was openly flirting with male officers while being questioned and was also, quote, dressed rather seductively, whatever that means, which is fucking stupid, but whatever. Um, Chief Medical Examiner of Cook County performed the autopsies of each of the Columbos on Saturday, May 8th. So, his findings were, quote, The body of Frank Columbo contained irregular lacerations from a blunt object, probably a heavy crystal lamp and or the bowling trophy found by Michael's body. Frank had suffered four gunshot wounds, one to the right side of his face, one to the left side of his face, one to his left lower lip, and one to the left side of his head behind his ear. Ouch. I know. So he had also sustained cuts from a sharp instrument and had four teeth missing from his jaw, which if he was shot in the mouth. Yeah, from his lower teeth from the lip shoot. Yep. Shot. Yep. (laughs) Mary Colombo had died from the gunshot wound she sustained between her eyes. She was likely dead by the time her body hit the floor and her heart had certainly stopped beating when her throat was slashed. Mm. This is a trigger warning for Michael's... um, Michael Colombo had died after being shot at close range in the head. After being shot, he was bludgeoned with a heavy instrument before his before his neck and chest were stabbed or punctured more than 90 times. The medical examiner felt the stab puncture wounds were shallow enough that they could possibly indicate a female administered them. So a single foreign hair was recovered from the front of Michael's t-shirt at the time of his autopsy. That hair would later be determined to microscopically be indistinguishable from the hair of his sister, Patty. Based on their stomach contents and the lack of rigor mortis, the medical examiner estimated the time of death for the Columbos was between 11 p.m. on May 4th and 1 a.m. on May 5th, 1976. So, before we get into any of that, the hair. We all know that hair strands are no longer used as proved in a court of law, and it can be used to show side-by-side comparison under a microscope looking for structural similarities. But as far as saying this hair looks like this person's hair a lot, so it's their hair. Mm-hmm. No more. Also, I'm not a fucking forensic scientist. Well, we know. Whatever. (laughs) We know. I'm just clarifying. So, while the autopsy... Oh, I'm sorry. What happened? I typed a word and it all went together. Now there's a big red line. And it's bothering me. So, while the autopsies were being performed, the evidence technician opened the trunk of Frank's Thunderbird um, that was being housed as evidence at the PD garage. Inside, he found dark maroon or red smudges on the trunk. Apparently, they were large enough to be seen from like five feet away. It wasn't clear if the smudges were grease or blood. Not sure how, but the smudges had been contaminated and were unable to be compared or tested. There were some interesting handprints found on the fender and the trunk and the trunk of the car. The prints found came from someone who was either missing a left index finger or that finger didn't make like a deep enough impression, which is more unlikely. Broken glass, taken out bags from a fast food restaurant, a white box, and bloody artificial plant stalks, much like the ones found next to Mary's body, were all found in the car. The glass pieces were tested by using a refraction method, and it was determined that they could have come from the broken lamp base found by Frank's body in the living room. So detectives had released a bolo from Mary's Mary Colombo's missing vehicle. And later that Saturday, a Wooddale police officer located it. Mary's 1972 Oldsmobile was found five miles from Elk Grove Village in the parking lot of a condominium complex. The car appeared to be in good condition and with no damage or theft. A resident of the complex stated that when he left for work on May 5th, around like 530 in the morning, the car was not there. And when he returned around 530 in the evening, it was there. 
Evidence technicians examined the vehicle and found five fingerprints and two different types of cigarette butts from the ashtray. There was also a blue blanket in the back seat. The roof liner was removed after red stains were discovered on part of it. Nearly one week later, on May 12th, fingerprints were taken from both Patty, Patty Colombo and Frank DeLuca. Guess who was missing the tip of their index and middle fingers on their left hand? DeLuke. Yep. It was noted that neither Patty nor DeLuca had any scabs, scratches, or nicks on their hands. Which, which means they didn't put up a fight. That's because they were shot. Two days later, on May 14th, detectives spoke with 25-year-old Lanyon Lanny Mitchell. Patty first met Lanny through a friend in September of 1975. He was a car salesman. Weird fact, Mitchell had once offered Patty money to go out with one of his friends, 34-year-old Roman Sobinski. At the time, Patty was living with DeLuca, but needed the money. The next month, Patty met up with Mitchell and Sobinski, and I don't know if that's how you say it, at the Where Else Lounge and drank and danced. Mitchell was referred to as a heavy in the article I was reading, which is basically someone who did the dirty work for his friends. The kind of dirty work that would possibly require the gun that he always carried with him. Patty knew this and took the opportunity to tell Mitchell about how her father, Frank, had hit her boyfriend in the head with the butt of a rifle after threatening him. She further explained the animosity between DeLuca and her parents surrounding the two's relationship. Patty then expressed to Mitchell that she wanted to have her parents killed. Mitchell told Patty that he would do it for 10 grand a person. Uh-uh. When I read this, I was like, why would he willingly be telling the police that? But he quickly followed it up with that he had no intention of actually killing anyone for her, but wanted to impress Patty so that she would sleep with him. Uh, all for the... All for it. Because he does get called in by the police. I don't know if I said that. Um, Patty called Mitchell nonstop throughout the month of October, asking him when he was going to go through with the murders. Mitchell would stall and ask her things like what her parents' activities and routines and schedules were like. Patty actually provided Mitchell with drawings of the floor plan of the house and told him where the safe was, the TVs, radios, furs, and diamonds. I'm not sure, though, if that was like her way of saying this is your form of payment. Like, yeah, like he could it. take whatever he wanted. But um, or also to make it look like a robbery. Yeah, but she clearly didn't have 20 grand to give this guy. So um, now it's November and Patty is still harassing Mitchell about when he is going to kill her parents. Um, sorry, I lost my spot. According to Mitchell, Patty would thought it would be cool to have them killed around Christmas time as some fucked up gift to herself. Oh, so right? cool. Yeah, she's weird. Savinsky and Mitchell were in this together. They agreed on a contract via telephone, but Savinsky demanded money up front before going through with the murders. Patty insisted the two men would be paid after the murders as the money would be coming from the insurance policy from her parents' deaths. Though in the interim, Patty offered to have sex with the men, which they both accepted. Uh, After their sexy times, Patty gave Mitchell photos of her family and a written out schedule of their activities, which apparently is called a dossier. Hmm. Dossier or dossier. Sounds like a perfume. It actually is. I have perfume that's made by this company called Dossier. So anyway, in December, Patty met Mitchell at the Colombo residence to case the house. This is, I'm guessing they were going to go to the house and like, visit her parents because they actually knocked on the door and Mary answered. Mitchell immediately panicked and fled in his car down the street. Patty and her mother engaged in an argument about her relationship with DeLuca and Patty soon left and caught up with Mitchell. Being hyped from the argument, Patty demanded that her parents would be killed that night. She said that she left the patio door unlocked and as a way for him and Sabinski to enter. I found this strange as most people check their locks before leaving or like going to sleep or just like if you notice like, oh, my door is unlocked. But obviously Patty knew what she was doing. Right. Or did she? Or they leave it unlocked and uh, or locked and they don't think to check it. Or did she? (laughs) 
Sorry. What was, was that noise? I have no idea. I thought you played a like a sound to like make oh, it. Oh, no. I think it's like a truck somewhere, but it kind of sounded like it was upstairs. I thought you made a sound to make it like dramatic. Oh. No, that's your job. <laughs> December came and went. And in January, Patty informed Mitchell and Sabinski that her brother Michael would also need to be killed to eliminate any possibility that he may figure things out and expose his sister in DeLuca. So she's, you know, crazy. Um, Patty leaves the patio doors unlocked for the men to Patty enter. on the patio. <laughs> for the men to enter. And she and DeLuca were becoming anxiously impatient. In mid-March, Mitchell calls Patty and asks about the upfront money for the killings. And she assures him that neither she nor DeLuca have that kind of money to pay the men up front and continue to press about when the murders could happen. Again, Mitchell reassured the detectives that he wasn't a hitman and had no intention of killing any members of the Colombo family. He was only using Patty for sex and money. Investigators finally pick up Savinsky. Guess what he does for a living? He is a recruiting officer for the Cook County Department of Personnel. Wow. He's married with three children and he um, was held in police custody until early the next morning but he never talked. He also later refused to speak in front of a grand jury, but he later does end up testifying. So police were able to verify that Patty was actually going to the Colombo house and leaving the patio doors unlocked. Caroline Tigret, Mary Colombo's sister told detectives that when she visited her sister, that Patty had shown up claiming she was there to pick something up. And after she left, Mary like had walked by the patio door and discovered they were unlocked and they had been locked before Patty's arrival. She then locked them. Oh, good. Just before 7 a.m. on May 15th, 1976, seven officers of the Cook County Sheriff's Department were went to the apartment of Patty and DeLuca in Lombard, Illinois, with a search warrant. Both were arrested and charged with conspiracy, solicitation, and the murders of Frank, Mary, and Michael Colombo. DeLuca was released two days later on May 17th, but Patty wasn't. Patty admitted to her guilt and gave written and oral statements admitting to soliciting two men to murder her family, but claimed she knew nothing about the actual murders. Huh? So she was like, yeah, I had two people that I was talking to about killing my parents, but I didn't know they actually did it. Yeah, that's what she's saying. I know. Or she's saying they did it and I don't know how they did it. She denied knowing Lanny Mitchell until she was brought to him at the station while he was being examined. Like, you sure you don't know him? And they're just like looking at each other. She's like, no. She told detectives that she didn't think he killed her family, but she wasn't sure. She was then asked about the written schedule of the Columbos she had provided Mitchell with. And she stated that, yes, she did give him that, but only because she was forced by gunpoint to do so. And then she was forced to have sex with him after she did that. <laughs> She's insane somehow. And I didn't know that there was a way to determine if things were written by force, but this was discounted by a handwriting expert. So like they were wow. like, no, you didn't fake that. You wrote that, which I'm like, um, she told police that she didn't report any of this because she feared for feared for her life. And I just want to say <laughs> what a piece of shit that makes her. Yeah. There are people, for her life. there are people who are in actual situations of abuse and fear. And she is lying about all of this. And it somehow discounts people who are actually scared to go to law enforcement about their abusers. So she's a real poop cunt. Yeah. Or that. Not sure why police questions Patty about her rent being overdue, but when they did, she became irate. But I mean... Irate that it's not paid, or irate that they're asking her that? Irate that they brought it up at all. Oh, well, because it makes her look like she's a child. Yeah. And irresponsible. Same. The day finally came on May 26th with Roman Sobinski testified against Patty and eventually DeLuca. He was offered immunity. After accepting this deal, he spilled all the veins. He corroborated everything Lanny Mitchell told investigators, including that he had made a verbal contract with DeLuca via phone about killing all three members of the Colombo family. There's a drag queen on Drag Race right now, and her name is Lucy LaDuca. 
That's so weird. <laughs> I don't see how it took so long, but Frank DeLuca wasn't arrested until July 17th of 1976. He was to await trial in Cook County Jail. DeLuca talked a lot in jail. He's also fucking stupid. His cellmate was a guy named Clifford Childs, and Clifford told detective uh, detectives that DeLuca bragged about his idea of killing the entire Colombo family and that he alone shot each family member. Everybody in prison always spills the beans. But why you know that they're going to talk? I know. The original plan was for there to be a reconciliation between Patty, DeLuca, and her parents on May 4th. They had planned to meet at 8 p.m. that night. DeLuca purposely waited until 10 p.m. to establish an alibi at work. Once he arrived at the Columbos, Frank answered the door. As he turned, so this is weird to me because as he turned his back to the door, he walked upstairs, and that is when DeLuca shot him in the back of the head with a 32 caliber revolver. Which I'm wondering if he like opened the door and he's like, fuck this guy, you know, and just, yeah, because I'm like, how would, or did DeLuca like ring the doorbell or knock and then like hide? hide. Yeah, so that's what I'm wondering. But anyway, Mary was next, and then he and Patty went to Michael's room where Michael had been asleep. And they're really, this is like, it's just like, and it's only like one sentence, but it makes me want to throw up. They woke him up, forced him on his feet. Then DeLuca shot him in the head, killing him instantly. Hmm. That's so just like, like I, like I have goose pimples. Like that's, that's your chicken skin. Um, why such anger towards the brother? I don't even know if it's, that's why I was asking. You remember in the beginning when I said some people said she was like. Or yeah, like, maybe he's like the favorite and she's fed up, you know. Or is it just because she really just. I just can't imagine. Care. Yeah. Taking um, all of her anger out on the whole situation. On... Or was it even anger? Was it just like, done. Yeah. But the scissor part's weird to me. The scissor, yeah. That's... And the bowling trophy. Yeah. Patty and DeLuca wanted to make the scene look like. They're so stupid. They wanted to make it look like a robbery, right? Mm -hmm. So they opened some cabinets and stole $150 cash, some jewelry, and a few small like household appliances. They loaded up these items in Frank's Thunderbird and left it in the West Side neighborhood in Chicago. They expected the car to be broken into in that area and traced back to the Columbos, which is precisely why they left it there. DeLuca told police that the entirety of the murders took about 25 minutes. DeLuca wore gloves and he had even stuffed the index finger of the left glove. So like to, yeah. to like throw the detectives off to where it, it looked like. But it didn't work. No, because like he stuffed it with something. But like when he there it didn't have enough pressure, pressure. there was no pressure. Right. Yeah. He's just LOL. DeLuca LOL. L to the OL. The most interesting thing that Childs came forth with was that DeLuca had come to him about two of his former employees were to be called as witnesses at his trial and that he wanted them killed. Uh, these people were born with half oh, a Oh, just wait. Just wait. Childs agreed if DeLuca would pay $10,000 a hit, which apparently is the going rate, I guess, to pay off his bail. He then gave Childs descriptions of the witnesses their activities, and directions to their homes. One of the witnesses was a married woman that DeLuca had had an affair with before meeting Patty. Because he was a woman as a... Apparently. DeLuca's ex-wife, Marilyn. Remember her? Mm -hmm. She was supposed to bail Childs out of jail, and then Childs would abduct the two witnesses, kill them, and bury them in Lyme somewhere in Indiana. Oh, so they got a divorce, but she was still helping out? Mm-hmm. I have no information on the reconnection of Marilyn and DeLuca or if they kept in contact because of their children, but Marilyn actually did send two money orders totaling over $3,400 to Childs and then another $830 to suffice the total bail needed. On February 24th, which is the day I'm going to get my hair cut, 1977, Marilyn picked Childs up and drove him to her home where she then gave him an additional $1,300 in cash plus DeLuca's old car to use for the hits. Childs denied actually ever planning to murder anyone, and like Lanny, said he was using the DeLucas for his own financial benefit. Uh. 
Isn't that wild? That is wild. So, Patty and DeLuca were tried together in a trial by jury just over a year after the murders. Physical and forensic evidence combined with the testimonies of Lanny Mitchell, Roman Sobinski, Clifford Child, and the two witnesses sealed their fate. The jury took only a few hours of deliberation to find both Patricia Colombo and Frank DeLuca guilty on all counts. Oh, my tummy. I thought you too did. No, I'm just so hungry. Judge Eugene Pinchman sentenced Patty and DeLuca to 200 to 300 years on each of the three murder counts. In addition to that, Patty was sentenced to 25 to 50 years for the solicitation to commit murder to run concurrently with her other sentence. So life. (laughs) DeLuca was sentenced to 10 to 50 years also to run concurrently. So life. In regard to the conspiracy charge, though, the court ruled that it merged in law with the murder charge, and so no sentences were imposed on that count. So, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. One month after his conviction, DeLuca moved for a new trial in late July of 1977. Patty motioned for her new trial in early August of 1977. The court denied both motions. Patty and DeLuca then both filed separate appeals and were again both denied in 1983. DeLuca was transferred to Dixon Correctional Center in October of 1977 to serve out the remainder of his sentence. In 1986, DeLuca became eligible for parole after serving only 12 years due to no disciplinary infractions or tickets. Denied. In May 2014, DeLuca told the Illinois Prisoner Review in a parole hearing that he has no expectation of being paroled and that what he and Patty did was horrendous and they should never leave prison. During this time, it was noted that DeLuca was in poor health. He had hip and prostate issues and walked with a cane. When his parole was again denied and the parole board wrote that, Parole could not be supported due to the heinous nature of the crime and that parole for DeLuca would depreciate the seriousness of the Mm -hmm. offense Amen. and promote disrespect for the law. So Frank DeLuca will be uh, 25. He'll be 85 in June. His earliest possible release date is 2116. So fingers crossed. He ain't gonna make it. (laughs) In October of 1977, Patty was transferred to Dwight Correctional Center to serve the remainder of her sentence. In 1979, just two years into her sentence, Patty was implicated in a prison, hate this word, prostitution scheme. When she organized sexual acts between the female inmates and the correctional officers. So she was tooting in prison? Uh Uh-huh. Patty was terrible in prison. She racked up nearly 20 infractions or tickets with the last being noted in 2004 for contraband. 2004. 2004 (laughs) for contraband unauthorized property. And then again in 2006 for unauthorized movement. I'm sorry, but if you're in prison for life, fuck it up, baby. Well, you ain't got nothing to lose. Well, listen to this last part. Though she was a bit naughty in prison, she was studious. Patty earned a secretarial science degree and applied and applied science degree in computer programming and an associate degree in art from Joliet Junior College in 1981. Then in 1991, she earned a bachelor's degree from Illinois State University. Oh my God! You don't even have a bachelor. Uh, no. <laughs> I hate you. Patty also received certificates for training in literacy and HIV AIDS peer education and volunteered as a reading and math tutor for the Literacy Volunteers of America from 1990 to 2006. Mall of America? Wow. Volunteers of America. Oh, I thought you said at the Mall of America. She even trained new tutors from 1995 until 2006. Patty even worked as a clerk and programmer for Leisure Time Services and Family Services Program as a secretary in the placement office, which I'm like, maybe you should have nothing to do with family services. No. So, almost done. During her stay in prison, Patty adopted the name Trisha and maintained a group of supporters who would write letters speaking of her good works while incarcerated on her behalf at her parole hearings. In 2011, Patty was accepted at Leslie's place in preparation for a parole hearing. 
Leslie's place was a transitional house that housed and assisted female inmates in navigating their way back into society. Leslie's place was in West Chicago, only two and a half miles from where Frank Colombo's car was left by Patty and DeLuca in 1976. Are you about to tell me she got out? Patty was denied that parole and was not sent to Leslie's place. Good. I saved the worst part for last for you, but I'm going to keep going. I'm almost done. In 2013-2014, Dwight Correctional Center announced they would be closing and began transferring inmates to other correctional facilities. Patty was first moved to Lincoln Correctional Center and then to Logan Correctional Center. Now, this part was just weird to me, but in 2014, Patty asked for a continuance of her parole hearing as she didn't want to leave the special needs inmates she was working with. Both the continuance and parole were denied with the same notation as DeLuca received from the board. To grant parole would depreciate the seriousness of the offense and promote disrespect for the law. Patty will be 67 in June and remains incarcerated at Logan Correctional Center. Like DeLuca, her earliest release date is 2116. And they have the same birthday. Well, both in June. Yeah. Patty insists that she has changed. Patty and DeLuca have not seen or spoken to one another since 1977. Investigator Raymond Rose, the first investigator on scene back in May of 1976, who I told you he was only 29 at the time, is active in speaking out against the release of either Patty or DeLuca. He be- I wrote Patty of DeLuca. <laughs> okay. Um, he believes that DeLuca shot all the victims and that Patty stabbed and cut them. Obviously, motive, according to Rose, was money. So I couldn't find like an appropriate um, place to add this little tidbit mm-hmm. in the story anywhere. But apparently, Patty had a friend that had been questioned at some point during this whole thing. And this was a friend from high school. Um, this friend reported that at some point after she began dating DeLuca, that she was shown that like Patty would bring these photos that he had taken of her and show them around. What were the photos of her naked? They were of Patty having sex with DeLuca's German shepherd. (gasps) Sorry. Good night. Okay. No, but you know, what's weird. Every episode, they're always German German shepherds. shepherds. And Uh, now I want to go rescue all of them. Cause they're. I know. Poor baby. Why the German shepherds? <laughs> I don't <laughs> oh my God. know. Well, thanks, guys. Wait, my sources. Illinois oh. <laughs> Prisoner Review Board Meeting Minutes. The New York Daily News. The People of the State of Illinois versus Patricia Colombo. And a fabulous article written by Lori Johnston of Medium.com. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a great and fantastic weekend. Wear butt plugs if you have a German shepherd. Sleeps with you. Emily's prairie doggin. What does that mean? Nothing. Oh, is that a country thing for having sex with animals? No, it's where you're is Peter pittering out your poo poo. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>